The way at least I run things, and I would recommend anybody does this as a services firm is yes, you can have those other metrics, but, but the right way to run a marketing team is pretty simple. How many leads did you generate? You're listening to the Client Catching Podcast, the show that uncovers how high-performing service-based business leaders are successfully navigating the ocean of complexity around growing their business. Now, as anyone with the talent and guts to start a business knows, it takes a lot more to grow one than just being great at what you do, and you can't do it alone. So this podcast will show you how other captains of their own ship, just like you, have found the right strategy to catch more clients, simplified everything, and transform their business. So if you're ready to do the same, then jump aboard and join me, Adam King, host and the captain at Think Like a Fish, and let's go fishing. Hey, it's Adam here, and thanks so much for tuning into the show today. Now, before we dive into the episode, I just wanted to let you know how you can get hold of a free copy of my book, Conversational Relationship Marketing, because inside you're going to find 10 golden rules for B2B and professional service firms that consistently create client sales opportunities and drives revenue growth. And you'll find out how to do all of that using professionalism, ethics, and good manners. So what you can do to get your free copy is go to the podcast gift page at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift. And when you get hold of the book, what you're going to discover is a simple strategy to ensure that you consistently have a full calendar of motivated and qualified ideal potential clients who want to discuss doing business with you. And what I'm literally doing is giving away the exact entire strategy that my clients pay thousands to implement with them. Not only that, I share throughout the book links to templates, frameworks and workbooks that you can use to actually implement this strategy and get results. And it's all for free, no strings attached. In fact, there isn't even an opt-in. So please make sure you go and grab your copy on the podcast gift page at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift. And if you want to grab some of the other gifts and resources that I offer there, please help yourself. So I hope you go and get the book. I hope you read it. And more importantly, I hope you do something with it. And when you do, I'd love to get your feedback on the results that you've got. But until then, let's get to today's episode. Well, hello, welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Now, if you sell professional services, you'll now be aware that marketing them, it's not the same as marketing uh, products, right? There are unique challenges to professional services that need to be overcome before you're able to attract and cultivate uh, cultivate potential clients. Now, the good news, if that has been you and your experience, then you're not alert or you're not alone because other firms and entrepreneurs like you find themselves in a similar situation, which gives us some useful pointers of how best to steer a successful path when it comes to marketing in the professional services industry. And funny enough, one of those success paths comes from my guest today. He's been a professional service firm owner for over 20 years. His professional services work, it spanned consulting engagements with Fortune 50 and startup companies that you've definitely heard of, um, including the sale of his first professional services company and the growth of delivery, sales, marketing and operational practices inside professional service firms. Now, today he's the co-founder and CEO of Cascade Insights and brings an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to surviving and thriving as a service firm owner or the leader of a practice area inside of a larger firm. So you're going to get an awful lot out today. I hope you're going to take some great notes because I'm absolutely delighted to 
welcome my guest today on the Client Client Catching Podcast, Sean Campbell. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. That's an absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, I hope we're going to get through the rest of the uh, the episode today without me tripping over my words. I even got the, uh, the uh, <laughs> I stumbled over the name to my own podcast. So it's kind of, yeah, I'm hoping it's not yeah, going to be one fine. of those interviews. So, you know um, how it is. Yeah. yeah, it is. Um, you're in the States, aren't you? And, uh, you know, we're oh, I'm here in the UK. So it's um, end of the day for me and my, my brain gets a little bit tired towards the end, you know. So <laughs> there we go. So um, as I've alluded to there in the introduction, um, professional services, that's that's been sort of where you've plied your trade. It's where um, you have a lot of expertise, both from running your own business and or a number of businesses and helping other businesses um, in the professional service arena. But I mean, what? how did you get started in this place? Yeah, well, for me, it really was kind of, I think, a natural thing, although I, it's really funny I, if you'd it, like most things in life, right? When you get to 50 and you look back, you're like, well, I didn't think my bachelor's degree in radio and television production would lead me to actually owning a professional services firm that worked with Microsoft, right? I mean, that's not what I thought. But but what happened, I think, is that professional services firm ownership, especially the kind of firm we have where we do a lot of research, we do a lot of strategy work, we work with an industry tech that changes all the time, like all the time. Um is that it's a great place to learn. And I have been motivated my whole life by basically learning things and then teaching other people about them. And specifically kind of learning things that even I disagree with, which is which is honestly something that I think everybody needs to do more in 2020 and 2021 is like, go read something you disagree with, you know, and actually like try to take it in, you know? And so I get to do a lot of that um, in what we do. And so where, where I, ended up doing professional services was I was getting a master's degree. I was set to be a college professor. Um, that's where I was going. I had a PhD plan for communications. I was teaching public speaking. Um, a girl entered my life. Uh, I decided that I didn't necessarily want to be a starving professor, although she jokes all the time. She would have, she says she would have followed me to Waterloo, Iowa, which is where the PhD program was going to be. So she was fine being poor, but I, I felt a sense of responsibility. And so I ended up going off and teaching um, computer apps, uh, networking, that kind of stuff. Cause I, I kind of built some of my own PCs and had a lot of experience on the side. So anyway, long story short, I ended up becoming an independent trainer. And that was when I stepped out and had my first business. And that business, we were really fortunate that in the organization I was working in at the time, we were doing work for Microsoft. So when I left, they gave us the ability to continue to work with Microsoft, um, even as independent contractors, they didn't block us from that. And so me and my other two firm co-owners, we basically in the year 2000, were selling to Microsoft as our first client. Now, looking back, I think, okay, that was, that was a bigger hill than I kind of expected. Back then, Microsoft was cool. I mean, this is hard to believe that Microsoft was ever cool, but like back in 2000, they were actually cool. They 97% of the world's computing ran on Microsoft. I mean, people think Apple's dominant, Android's dominant, Google's dominant. Google doesn't even have that level of search ownership in search. I mean, it, it's the reason the DOJ showed up. I mean, they, they were so dominant. And so we got this very early exposure to not only kind of... Um, how a world, you know, wrapping company deals with marketing and sales and technology, 
we were trying to sell into this thing, right? And 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 you know, I'm thinking, you know, I I partly the reason I thought I could pull it off was my dad was in sales his whole life, very different kind of sales, small group health insurance. I mean, as far away from it was very like Glenn Glary, Ben Ross, always be closing, you know, kind of model, right? I mean, 100% commission, that kind of thing. Very different than what I ended up doing. Um, but so that that company then grew. We sold it um, about four or five, six years later. It got up to about 20, 25 employees. And then um, we started Cascade in 2006. And Cascade's now at about 20 or so employees. Um, and to the current employees who are listening, we don't have plans to sell. So that's not a tripwire. It's not like, you know, oh, oh, Sean's at the magic number again. It's all, it's all going to disappear. Um, and, uh, and, and there's one of the other things in, in the journey was just that, um, and we could talk more or less about this, but in the first company, we were very tidally locked. If anybody's a science geek, you know, that's when like the moon is locked with one side facing it perpetually to the planet, right? We were tidally locked to Microsoft and Intel, like almost all of our revenue came from both accounts, which on one hand was a glorious ego boost because um, back then both companies were really, really dominant. Um, and and we felt kind of like, oh, this is cool. You know, we're working for the two big guys. But the problem was we, we didn't have a lot of other clients and we kept just being swallowed up by these two guys. So that was a lesson. And when we started the second company, we, we have some rubrics and rules in play that keeps things a lot saner. We still work with big guys, but we kind of keep them in check. And so anyway, that's been the trajectory all along. And and the final thing would just be that um, I I want to make sure I give deference to my long lasting business partner, um, Scott Swigert, who I've worked with for over 20 plus years. We've been a very good team. I tend to take on um, sales, marketing, um, kind of new initiatives. You know, I'm kind of the creator of sorts, and then I'll take on kind of the more abstract things in the business like sales and marketing, although finance also rolls up to me. So that's kind of an mm-hmm. odd duck. And he will always take on usually kind of running the execution team, you know, whoever's actually providing the services. And that's kind of a duality we've had all along. So anyway, that's basically the story. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's a number of things that I can pull out of that that story and that journey. And and, and I guess the uh, the first one, it's it's kind of, well, there's, there's two parts that um, relate to this first one and, and it's the you know behind every good man there's a great woman so you know your wife right. that would have followed you um but also that that fits in nicely to what you just covered there about your your business partner as well and about the importance and the quality of the relationships that you build through life through business and and how that is often a key success factor that a lot of people don't necessarily attribute to their success when they're talking about the growth of their business and i think that that's a testament to I guess how you see the value of relationships and how that the support system that you build around yourself and your business and and how you can take that to um, you know your work that that is something that you sort of put front and center and that comes out of the natural conversation without even thinking and it's something that I think that so many people out there they owe a lot to these sorts of things but they don't necessarily put it front and center so well, that's well, something do, do- I think that comes out. Yeah. And to that point, it's a little bit like, I mean, I, I think if I use a Marvel reference, everybody will across the planet has seen enough Marvel movies or you're aware, right. You know, like it's, it's kind of like, you're right. Most entrepreneurs, even if they're in a team, they're all like Tony Stark, Iron Man. They, they occasionally mention they're with other people. It's almost a source of pride to be like, well, I know if I wasn't here, I mean, I guess nothing would have got done anyway. When, when really at the end of the day, you need to be more like cap. You know, you need to be a little more like 
yeah, I get it. You know, I realize what I bring to the table, but that's not really the first thing I tell everybody all the time. Um, and I, and, and yeah, there's a lot to that. I think it's also one of the reasons that sometimes this is not a little off topic, but I think it's one of the reasons professional service firm ownership um, sometimes breeds tyrants because, mm -hmm. because by, by providing the services personally in the earliest stages of the firm and you getting the ego gratification of people saying you, the individual, individual, you, Tony Stark are smart. Um, it, it creates a little toxicity that you have to watch for because, because at the end of the day, if you want to grow your firm, you have to give some of that away to other people. You have to let other people shine. And, and honestly, I think that's one of the very early reasons firms don't grow or kind of collapse because the Tony Stark doesn't want to give anything away. And then very much like the Marvel movies, I didn't intend to make the analogy this tight, but like the, it, it, Tony's kind of a train wreck and he needs Pepper and he needs Cap and he needs Hulk and he needs all these other guys to keep him in check. It doesn't mean he's not super. He is, because I think everybody would agree in the movies, Iron Man's probably the coolest, strongest guy out of the bunch. But yet at the same time, he doesn't exist without everybody else, mm. right? And in the end, well, I shouldn't spoil all the movies for everybody. So I won't, I won't <laughs> someone hasn't actually seen the end of the movies, I won't say what actually happens to Tony. But even that is an interesting testimony to what Tony really has to do in the end to make that team work. Well, before we sort of move on, I mean, you're not the first person to bring up um, the Avengers on the podcast. And the last person that did it did give away the end and I hadn't seen it. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, um, yeah, just in case there is someone that hasn't listened to that episode that, uh, you know, they're not going to find right. out what happens at the end. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think that there is, yeah, there's so much that whole, yeah, the, the superhero syndrome that, that a lot of people that start these businesses is, you know, it's around a skill set that you have. And even if you're starting on your own and then you've got to go and find help and, and you know, it, it organically grows in that way. It can be difficult if you've been the one that sort of, you know, it's your thing, it's your baby. And it's a lot of the time it's your 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 intellectual property or it's, you know, your your network, your relationships that you've built up and, and there's so much in there and you know I've worked back when I was working for the man people that could literally be described as that tyrant you know I think if you looked up the word psychopath you'd, you'd have seen you know their picture and <laughs> you know my you know my I've, I've got other people that have got similar stories my wife has, has worked for some you know people exactly like this that are so like tyrannical and it's 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 a hindrance to growth well right those I companies stuck yeah, at that well, size. One, and, one quick thing. Yeah, and I would say too, while well, we're not going to talk about products, um, the the analog in a product company, and we see this all the time when we do marketing work for product companies, right? Because um, the startup has all this language on their site that says we're the only, we're the fastest, we're we're, we're the speediest, we are we are the most usable, we are the most secure, and really what you have there is like this. It, it, it can't be true because if you were the only, there's not a market for you, right? I mean, most that get a little geeky about markets, you know, usually to grow a market, there's multiple choices, right? Mm -hmm. That's why we don't just have one car manufacturer. I mean, I guess they did in the Eastern block for a number of years, but look, look how that <laughs> turned out for them, right? So, um, you know, nobody, nobody likes driving a Yugo back then or now, but like, you know, at the end of the day, um, I, I think, that's where you see it in a product company is they start to believe that they are really the only of whatever it is. 
Um, and it's, and it's, it's destructive because you're not, and it blinds you to what you really actually are at the mm. end of the day. And that doesn't mean you're not providing value. It's just, you're, you're not the only. And I think that the way that that translates a lot of the time to uh, professional service firms as well is that you position yourself as the skill that you provide. You know, we are the best accountant, we're the best lawyers, we're the best X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, actually, your your customers, your clients, they actually cannot differentiate you between any others. Like you've got all of these qualifications and, and you know, you've put in so many years of effort and graft to know what you know. The problem is Joe Bloggs on the street doesn't understand the difference. Well, right. And on that point, what's fascinating is I think people confuse what they're really getting hired for um, precisely because they're doing this Tony Stark mapping thing. That's a little weird, right? They're like, I'm the best at this and that's why I'm getting hired or I've hired people who are the best at this. And, and I would, I would argue that if you actually talk to your customers and, and you didn't, you got them out of saying, I like Stan, I like Mary. And you said, why do you really actually hire Stan or Mary over to exactly to your point? All the other people who are also good at putting nails in wood, um, they would say, well, he knows how to put nails in wood in my type of building. Like it's context. You get hired because you have context in a space. I don't think it's because you're necessarily that good at the raw skill, right? It's like running a podcast or whatever, like great podcasts stay in a lane of context and that's what makes them great. You know, it's not that one podcast host has much better audio than the other one. Although, as we talked about before the show, you got to have at least some minimum bar of audio. And I Mm. didn't have it. So we fixed the little audio things before we got started. But like, um, but again, that's not really what's going to win it for you. They're they're table stakes. And then, and and I'd say the other thing that gets those people messed up is that when the economy um, struggles, well, let me say it this way. When the economy is doing well, just being good at putting nails in wood, it, it can get you work. The minute the economy struggles, people do a, a much more diligent job of saying, well, okay, I got lots of people who could put nails in wood. I need somebody who really knows my context. And, and you can survive a lot better when the economy gets rough, like the year we've just had, mm-hmm. if you have a really good focus for your business and you don't leave the aperture like massively wide open. And so mm-hmm. that, that that's a it's not just a smart thing to do. It's like a, a saving thing to do when times get bad. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought up that phrase because we had a conversation previously and, and, and that phrase around keeping the aperture wide open. And that's something that I, uh, you know, we talked about. And I find that a lot of people are afraid to do the opposite. So I, I really like that phrase. So why don't you sort of explain your, your sort of thinking behind using that phrase and what it actually means for how you would then sort of think about growing a professional service firm? Yeah, 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 happy to. First thing to give credit where credit's due, you know, I don't want to be Tony Stark again, right? You know, we'll stop the Marvel analogies here at some point, but it's like, um, I got two teenagers. So like the two teenage boys, I should be clear. So like they're, if they're not living in the Mandalorian right now, they're living in, in Star Wars, right? So, um, <laughs> um, so, so anyway, and the Mandalorian is really cool. I'm not knocking it. So anyway, um, the, the phrase comes from a guy named Paul Logue, who at the time was a vice president in HP, and he's gone on to be vice presidents at other places and whatever. He'll probably be some CEO someday. But I was a younger version of me, and I was in there talking to HP, 
and very excited because I was talking to HP. And it was in the early days of me going down to Silicon Valley to sell. So it was kind of like, and if anybody's ever sold in Silicon Valley, even driven through Silicon Valley, um, the first thing you notice is like, you want to talk about ego gratification. You want to talk about like, wow, this is crazy cool. Like you drive like from exit to exit on the exact same freeway, Google's at one exit and HP's at the next exit and SAP's at the next exit. And, you know, you to a, somebody who wants to grow a firm, if that's your target market, um, it's probably the equivalent of like walking down Wall Street if you were help financial services, right? You know, just every door is like another opportunity. So anyway, I'm pretty pumped and I'm going to meet Paul and I start, he starts saying, what do you do? And, and without noticing it, I'm telling him we do this and we do this and we do this and we do this. And, and, and I'm kind of responding to his asks and I'm, I'm kind of always saying yes. Now, am I being accurate? Yeah, I am. But like all services firms, there's this line between what you really, really do well and what you can do because you're smart people and you know something. And I, and I was drifting into like, well, we can do that and we can do that. And, and without saying the words can, but Paul knew I was. And Paul looks at me and puts his hand up, which is always a bad sign in a sales meeting, like from either side. Like that's never a good move. Like yeah. whatever happens next is bad. Um, doesn't really matter. And so Paul says, um, I know you want to leave the aperture wide open. And right at that moment, there was this like, you know, it's like time slows, you know, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, man, I have just completely. And But good guy that he was, he's continued to work with us and done things with us, you know, through the years. But um, he was trying to coach me. He was basically mm -hmm. trying to say, you, you, I need to know what you do really well. And, and the proxy for this is when the client says like, Tell me the thing you're specialized at or tell me the thing you're really good at. And I know that a lot of people struggle with that because they don't want to be known for just one thing. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying like if you're an accountant, like, yeah, I just do tax prep. I know you do more than that. The way out of that trap, it goes back to like the nails and wood thing. Don't keep talking about the ways you put nails in wood. Talk about the kind of client you serve best. And that's what Paul really wanted to hear from me. What he really wanted to hear is like, the only clients I work with are the stickers that run this strip on 101 in Silicon Valley. I don't go work with pharma and I don't go work with oil and gas and I don't go work with manufacturing. And I, and, you know, and, and it's that, it's that point of to lower, to kind of decrease the aperture, you know, the field of view on your business, you have to start saying no, it's really just you. Cause what you don't want is the scenario where later a bunch of clients tell you no, because you're so spread out. And they recognize that you're not specialized or the economy gets rough and they look for really good specialists. And again, it isn't specialization in the, the thing you're delivering, I've come to realize over the years. It's the kind of client you're specializing in because that's the context they're buying at the end of the day. Um, and I can unpack that further, but I don't want to go too long on one story. But that, that was... I, it's a, and I see, and even younger sellers in my own business, I've had to sometimes say the phrase to them because I'll watch them do a sales call and they're excited about dealing with XYZ company. And I'll have to be like, Paul told me years ago, okay, just lower the aperture a little bit, you know, keep, keep it a little more narrow. And I, I really, really like the distinction as well between, I think what people might, might, might say, because, you know, what we're talking about is, you know, the whole, um, you know, find a niche type thing or niche, depending on what part of the world you're in or specialization or, or whatever else it may well be. But 
a lot of the time when we think along those lines, we think, okay, well, I have to be specialized and you know, I'm an accountant, so I'm going to be specializing in tax returns or whatever it may well be. Whereas actually the way that you just described it there, it's it's all about becoming much more focused on a particular type of person because you can solve the same problem for a massive amount of people. But if you're the one that solves that problem for one specific type of person, you know, birds of a feather flock together kind of thing. And and we like and are attracted to people that are similar to us. So if we're able to talk the same language as the people that you want to hear, and, and ultimately it then allows you to create your marketing, which is all about the client, not about you. And it's another way of saying, you know, my, my whole business is named after it. Think like the fish, not the fisherman. You know, rather than going out on the, you know, the entire ocean and thinking, right, I'm going to catch a fish. Well, there's thousands of different types of fish down there that will bite on various different types of bait. So if you go out and say, I am going to go and catch a tuna and that is all I'm going to catch, you will set yourself up to catch just that. Now you'll go past a crap ton of other fish, but my God, when you get that tuna, you'll reel it in and, you know, they're big fish, right? So right, it's, right. It's, it's a similar type of thing. And I really like the way that the, you differentiate between the two. And I think it helps the people to sort of zero in on, okay, well, I can be an accountant, but I can be an accountant for professional um, golfers, or I can be the accountant for um medium-sized businesses um, in the manufacturing industry with annual revenues of XYZ, whatever it may well be. You can get that very specific and you can talk about in your marketing the people that you help rather than the thing you do because a lot of the uh, the services that we offer, they're either over our heads or we just or, or the clients don't necessarily care. Nobody wants to buy the service, they want the result. So it allows you to talk in narrative about the people that you help and the clients that you help and the problems that they have and their average day and all that kind of thing. And it really does set you up to do marketing that is less confusing to the, you know, to the service firm that's actually creating it. Yeah. Oh no, all those things are true. I mean, I'm a big fisherman actually. And so, um, it's a good analogy because, um, at the end of the day, right. Um, (laughs) There's so many things to say on that one really quick. I mean, we're talking about fishing for a long time, but like, um, you know, people go fishing with me, the boat's moving around for a long time before I put a line in, especially if it's a place I haven't fished. Cause I'm like, if there's no fish under the boat via the depth finder, I'm not staying here. Like I'm using signals and telemetry to get in the right spot. I guess that's a good salesperson too. But then once I'm there to your point, um, I, if I'm fishing for bass or trout or, you know, kokanee or salmon or whatever, I have completely different gear. I have one tackle box that just marked bass. I have another tackle box that's marked trout. And would I would I ever lo- lower in a trout lure in an area for bass? No. And yet there are people who to do this in, in services for marketing, they have this weird like kind of genericized approach to it. And to your point, that fails. I also think on another note, um, it just makes it more interesting for the person running the business, right? I mean, yes. We do need to write. Um, we do need to write for Google, like at times. Like it's unfortunate, but you know, out of all the buyer personas in my lingo as a research firm, you know that you target. Um, one of them is Google. You you have to write your occasional listicle. You have to write the occasional thing that's fairly, I wouldn't say generic, but you're writing it to rank in Google. But alongside of all of that stuff, um, write those things that are way more interesting because they're about the client. 
right? And, and, and the, the test I would give somebody if they're debating this is in their mind, right? Because, you know, who knows what somebody's thinking while they're driving along listening to this, right? I would say, play back your most awesome sales conversations. Like, really play them back in your head and ask yourself, when did it get awesome? And I don't think it got awesome when you were talking to them about your five-step accounting plan. And I don't think it got awesome when you were talking about your, you know, little mousetrap doohickey that you do or your free offer or whatever it was. They might have taken that from you, but that's not the same as excitement. Where they got excited is usually the moment where they were like, oh, so you've worked with people like us and you really get us. And like, oh, you've got a great story. And like, oh, that makes sense. And, you know, and then what it leads to is. Uh, for those that think of this as more of a mathematical problem, which is part of it too, is it leads to lower customer churn because it costs more to lose a customer, that whole kind of thing, right? You know, because they stick with you. Mm. It lowers cost of acquisition because they you tend to box other people out. You know, if they're looking at 10 people and you're specialized in, you know, services for accountants or barbers or, you know, who, whatever it is, you know, um, you're going to box people out there. And and also, it creates a very virtuous referral cycle, too, because it, it, the referrals are a funny thing I've found over the years. Like, what people forget is that the person you're asking is giving up some equity in this, like, faith-based initiative that you won't, for lack of a better phrase, screw over whoever they're giving it to, right? Hmm. And so, so it, 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 to get them over that little hill, you have to have something really of value that they feel is safe to recommend. And so this also, this context setting thing really, really helps with that. And the final thing I'd say about it is um, there's a phrase I've been saying for a couple of years now. I feel like at some point I should have trademarked the stupid thing, but um, I, I started saying we're in the age of narrow and I don't mean narrow thinking, although there's probably plenty of that going on too, right? But like, but I mean, um, you know, what I mean is that people, I mean this more in a positive way, People want narrow experiences, meaning, you know, if you're into like skiing in the world we live in, you can just surround yourself in a bubble of skiing. Like you can just be like completely, you know, your YouTube, YouTube channels can all be about skiing. The movies you watch can all be about skiing. Your activities can all be about skiing. You can buy skiing video games. You know what I mean? We've never really lived in that kind of world, right? And it's not just our Netflix queue is personalized. We kind of almost expect this now, right? We expect, and every time we go to an experience that's not like it, we all, it's the first thing we mark, remark upon, right? You know what I mean? We go to a retail outlet and it's not personalized. It's like, ah, that seems kind of weird. I kind of like personalization, right? And, you know, it's a little Orwellian, you know, when Amazon's recommending stuff to us and, you know, connecting two dots with its AI algorithm. And we're like, I didn't know I was sick. Thanks for telling me, Amazon. I had no idea that was really going on. Or what was that and, story? You know, I didn't know I was pregnant. There's another one there. Right, I think right, it was, right. uh, that Target, was Target, wasn't it? Right, yeah, yeah it was Target, right? <laughs> and so like, um, it, but but we everybody likes to feel special. And and so 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 where this ties in is that if all of that is happening and you're leaving the aperture wide open and you're the age of wide, which for the record, I've never said that phrase, but like the age of wide, that's the first, but, but if you were the age of wide, that doesn't even sound good. It's probably why I never said it. Right. I mean, but mm. it's, but it, it, who wants the age of wide? They all want the age of narrow. So, so you're also tying into like this social cultural trend that we're not going to get away from. 
So, so anybody who avoids this, I think is just facing doom at some point. And, um, I think they just need to get on the bandwagon. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that sort of like, it points to a lot of the challenges that, um, I guess professional service companies, they, they face, which is it comes from that foundational place. And then once I often find that once I help people see that, that it's, it's usually 80 to 90% of the time when it comes to marketing, it's a foundational issue before you even start looking at tactics and, and the things that you're going to do to actually do the marketing. It's this foundational piece. It's knowing your client, you know, your, your avatar is, you know, we like to say in the, in the marketing world. And it's, it's really getting to know them and deeply understand them so you can think like them. So you can use the language. And I know that's what you guys do a lot of. It's the market research. It's really actually, uh, here's a novel idea, going out and talking to your customers, talking <laughs> to your market, right? I mean, you know, you said it there. It's, it, you know, we are in this sort of world and it can be a bit of a bubble. And sometimes it just seems strange when you actually suggest, well, why don't you go and talk to some of your clients and see what they say? Why don't you go and talk to your market? And they're like, oh, what do you mean? Actually talk to them? Can't I just send them a survey? No, like actually well, go and have a conversation. Well, and one quick thing on that. Um, and I love our marketing team, but I remember, um, and this still will happen occasionally, um, there's a line when you, and they are great, great writers. The person who leads our marketing team is an ex-journalist and her nickname is half as long from the scene in the movie, A River Runs Through It, which if people haven't seen, there's, there's this Scottish father who's all about thrift and he's teaching his son to write. And he keeps saying, his son keeps giving him stuff that he's written. And the dad says half as long. And that he has to go back to his room and write it half as long. And then eventually he says, good enough, now throw it away. And it, the other thing that reminds me of all time is Mark Twain once said, um, I would have write you a, written you a shorter letter, but it would have taken more time. Uh, and so, you know, and my point here is that I've got a great team of writers, so I don't want to nix that. Um, but, but they struggle with me every once in a while. A piece will come across that they're writing. And this is exactly where you were talking. It's filled with uh, acronyms or examples or cases that really only make sense to the buyer. Like it's that slight bit of geek out on the buyer's space that a normal person would go, it almost would repel them if they're not in the space, right? It's kind of like if you've got a friend who's really into a hobby, right? Like you, you mentioned fishing. I don't know how much fishing is a big hobby for yours or a small one, but you and I, if it was a big one for you, we could probably immediately geek out on a thousand things fishing and everybody would stop listening. But there'd be five people listening who like this show and like fishing. And they would be like, wow, I love this guy. This guy is awesome. And so what I'm saying is in the content, there almost needs to be a little bit of that. If it's really for a certain audience, it should be a little hard to penetrate for a general audience. And what writers do sometimes is they, they fall back to, well, no, no, that's wrong because I need to aim so people can read it. It can be comprehended. So what I'm saying is there's almost like this lack of comprehension um, that you want. I'm, I'm sure my writing team's going, that's not what we meant boss. Right. But, but that, but that, that feeling of this doesn't feel written for me. It doesn't need to feel like you're reading the American medical journal. It's that far afield. Mm -hmm. Like you really don't understand it, but I would put your own content to that test. Do you feel like anyone in your household could read it and fully understand it? Then it's probably not tuned, right? It's supposed mm -hmm. to feel like, 
I, I was fun talking about your hobby till we really geeked out about it. And now I really ha- don't want to have this conversation anymore, you know, you, unless I really yeah. am into the hobby with you. And um, we keep it too like general. And that hurts us in so many ways. And it also hurts you in search because the way the search algorithm works these days, it's highly optimized for very niche topics. Mm. And the same thing's true for pay-per-click. You know, I find that the most, the better performing pay-per-click stuff we write is actually really, really narrow language wise. Um, and that's a whole nother topic we could talk about, but like I, there's, there's kind of a thought process again, to sum it up that goes, I keep my content as broad as it can so I can get the clicks. Mm-hmm. And I would say in some, it's supposed to repel a certain amount of people as much as it attracts. And then you're probably being more successful in the end. And I think that's a key thing that a lot of people, I guess they get a bit scared by um, when, when I'll say things like that exact same thing, like your marketing is actually there to repel the majority of people and only appeal to the ones that you actually want to serve. But you don't, you don't know how to create that when you haven't defined who it is that you want to appeal to. So, you know, it's, 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 it's exactly like that because, you know, if you're, if you're going general, then yeah, you will attract a lot of stuff and you get that ego boost. And, you know, there's the, the obsession with, um, with, with metrics and numbers and all the rest of it. Most of people in professional services, they don't need thousands and thousands of clients. They need a, a decent handful that are regularly coming through the door. And, you know, obviously depending on the size of the firm, but. The problem is they are often judging the performance of their marketing or their success or anything like that on metrics that are being, um, propo- you know, proponent, uh, what's the word, um, shown by other marketers or, or people that are, are sort of doing it by, you need all of these, you need views, likes, clicks, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, no, I don't, I need clients. I, that is well, the right, thing that's that most important. And, and, well, and that's a great point because I think this is more of a broader point about marketing, I think, but it's, um, and our marketing team does a really good job of this, I think. Um, marketing is now kind of full of vanity metrics. It's completely full of vanity metrics. Like, like, like you, it, I almost think with the amount of telemetry your average marketing team has today, they could justify any losing thing they're doing. Like, like mm-hmm. almost without fail. They, they, any, any idea they could find a metric that would say, no, 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 it's brand equity. Look at these views, right? And, and I, and, the way at least I run things, and I would recommend anybody does this as a services firm, is yes, you can have those other metrics, but, but the right way to run a marketing team is pretty simple. How many leads did you generate? That, I mean, now th- they can put other legs underneath that table like and say, okay, well, this is how I'm supporting that goal. This metric helps with this and search helps with this. But what you should never let yourself fall into the trap as a service firm owner is have a meeting that runs like this. Your team mm-hmm. says, well, let's do this with, you know, I think um, I could tell folks how we use Instagram because we use it in a very narrow way. So I'm not knocking what we do with Instagram, but but let's say somebody has this massive plan to blow up Instagram on behalf of you and they, they've got all this budget they want to put on it. You know, you need to be the person in the room that says, fine. In two months, how many leads is it going to generate? And when the marketing team says, well, we don't really know. I mean, we've got, you, this is what you have to say. I'll authorize it when you can tell me how many leads it will generate. And what most people do is they can't, they can't quite bring themselves to say that. I don't know why. They're tough on clients and they're tough on other people. But I think what the failing is, is the, 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 
the belief that creativity trumps actual execution is the problem. Like you need to be creative. You need to say unique things, but there's this thing like, well, let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. And I'm all for experimentation, but, but if, if, if you understand where I'm going, there's this kind of tendency with marketing initiatives, even with senior leadership to let the team go do what's creative, but not what's actually meaningful. And it's almost endemic in marketing teams, I think. And I, I'm not really sure why, to tell you the truth, but I find it's something I have to kind of manage. Let them be creative, let them come up with stuff. But my job is to say, how will this actually generate a real business outcome? Um, and then that's probably one of the biggest things you can do when managing your marketing team. And I think that is something that I, I guess has always been that struggle with marketing teams. Like they, they feel like they can't necessarily, like they're looking for ways to, sometimes justify their position and, and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes they, they don't necessarily know where they can add the value because they've trained as marketers. Sometimes people have trained as brand marketers and all that kind of thing. Whereas that is the stuff that they, they know and they've been trained to, to sort of understand. Whereas, you know, you get into the real world and ultimately all a business cares about is results. Like what is this going to do? What business result is going to come from this? It's a very nice idea, but what am I going to get at the end of it? Well, and, and, and if to you that can... point, well, and to that point really quick, like, is that that is where understanding your ideal customer profile, understanding your buyer personas. I mean, I would challenge, and we do a really good job of this around here. And I give Issa, who's the head of the marketing team, really big credit for this. She does a really good job of really super, super good job of trying to understand our clients' contacts. She runs workshops on it all the time. She really looks through all the research we do on our space, all this stuff. But here's another litmus test, right? Ask your marketing team, when was the last time they listened in on a sales call, visited a client, looked at a proposal, um, it even interacted with sales in a non-adversarial relationship? You know what I mean? Like actually had a real conversation about, hey, sales. And here's one way I solved that in my business is that I have once a week, and this took a little bit of cajoling, to be honest, because both teams thought this might not be a good use of time. Um, once a week, we have what we call a client creation meeting. And I could have called it other things. Clearly, sales and marketing don't just create clients. They grow clients. And, you know, but I didn't want to have 17 words in the Outlook meeting request subject line. So I called it the client creation meeting. And we meet for one hour and they understand what each other's doing. They understand what they're contributing. There's a moment where I leave it open to brainstorming. You know, we review the leads we received and sales tells marketing how they got here. What was the color? Marketing asks questions like, are there phrases you're hearing clients say more often now that we should reflect in our own content? And um, I, I love both teams, but I do not really believe they would have ever had that meeting unless I forced it onto the calendar. Um, I don't, I don't think they would have. And um, it's, it's huge because as a firm owner, it lets me make sure they're both connected in this very strategic way. Um, and, and honestly, as I've asked around, I, I, other people don't seem to do it. And I, I don't no. know why it's just, it's just connect the two teams, but they, they're more often than not, as we know, adversarial. And, yeah, and it's I like think a need to let it speak into each other more, a bit more. Like, I've described it before. It's, just, it's like trying to get cats and dogs to live together and it doesn't always work. But 
ultimately, if you're the owner of the firm, you need to be that sort of that one in the middle that brings them together because there is your that's where your opportunity lies. If you can get the two working together in harmony, then that's one that's one thing that can actually really separate you from other firms in terms of getting to market and understanding the market and, and marketing and selling and all the rest of it. That can have that is a massive competitive advantage against other firms. You know, especially if you know other firms don't always necessarily have the two, and maybe it's even just you doing it. Um, you know, have that conversation with the angel and devil on your shoulders, right. for example. <laughs> right. right. Um, you know, sometimes that is the case, and. Um, you know, it's 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 something that you really need to sort of think about. Don't get distracted by, you know, the the things that you can do with marketing. Focus on the things that are going to move the needle. And I've been massively um, guilty of all of that. I've I've gone down rabbit holes. I've done so many things. It's like, oh well, that was fun because I like marketing, but did it move a needle? Not necessarily. Whereas I keep coming back to some core things that actually do. And specialise in, in getting even better at all of those things. But I'd be clear. I'd be keen just before um, I let you go to um, sort of because we've sort of unpacked things and we've talked about a lot of the challenges around marketing a service firm and all the rest of it. If you had to sort of go into a a general professional service firm, I know it's not going to be an easy question necessarily to answer it, but you were to sort of almost go in and say, right, this is how you would design a marketing function for the business. And these are the things that you would need to do. Let's start at the top and then we work down. What are the things that would you, you would sort of help someone to work through with the ultimate aim of what we all want is consistently, predictably, and profitably acquiring clients for your professional service firms. What would your thought process go like to take somebody through that? Well, it, let's, and let's assume they're small to start because that's probably the yeah. easiest and then kind of go from there, right? Like I, the first question is, can you write? You know, that's honestly the first question, like, because sometimes the owner can't write. Uh, the second mm -hmm. question is, does the owner have anything to say that's unique? Because um, sometimes they don't. Back to the nails and wood analogy, right? So you got to coach them through like, okay, well, what's your unique thing that you want to talk about? That kind of thing. Um, the third thing is uh, uh, maybe one that people might not think is as traditional. I actually think a great place to start is a limited amount of pay-per-click um, because a few things. Most keywords that service firms are bidding on are not that costly compared to the deal that results from the click. Like the ROI relationship there is really, really good. I mean, compared to like a click for hair dryers and a hair dryer sold, you know, so like it, it's, and it's a great place to experiment with messaging because the owner probably knows phrases, language that works with clients. And with a really minimal amount of pay-per-click spend, you can see if that's driving traffic to a site, which again, we assume has decent contact elements. Let's just call it that. That's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. Like, does it have decent contact us page? All the rest of the kind of things. That's plumbing, right? So it's got good plumbing that you can hit. Then you take that telemetry and you say, okay, what out of this is really working? And how do I marry that with the sales messages that I know work? And then start to look at how you kind of reset your messaging framework for the site, right? And if people Google messaging framework, whether they ever hire anybody like you or me or whatever, there's all kinds of messaging framework models they could use, but but the the exercise of doing that with some data and some past history is super strong. And then when you got that, then you can go build out a site that really hangs on that messaging framework. Then you can build out content that goes after organic search and target those kinds of things. Um, and but it's all against the backdrop of initially trying to figure out who you're going to serve, 
right? And really focus in on that. And 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 one thing I want to make sure to touch is a little off topic of what you asked, but world domination. And they're like, fine, picking a market's good for you. I want to own the world, right? I'd be like, you can still do that. You just have practice areas. You have like a practice area that focuses on a vertical. But the trick is don't cheat. Don't cheat. When you sell to that market, you have to have a dedicated team that serves that market. You can't do this like, well, I put all this crud up on the website that we serve all these industries, but really Bob does all the work and he works with every industry. That's cheating. That doesn't really work. So um, you can still grow while remaining narrow in in these pockets, right? You know, and maybe acquire, acquiring companies is another way to do that. You know, it depends. Um, so, so anyway, I, that's places I wouldn't go at the start. Um, here's some things that I think service own surface owners will tend to go to right away. I wouldn't go to conferences and forget COVID. I realized conferences were kind of a loser a long time ago, because the problem is you're, you're at war with what the conference owner wants. The conference owner wants the widest possible net of people to come to the conference. So when you stand up there, if magically you could know where every single person's LinkedIn profile exists, and if you were honest with yourself in front of those 300 people, and I've given talks, largest talk I ever gave, I think was like plus 1000, like in a live room. I remember what it felt like. I mean, it's cool. It's really cool to pop up there and, you know, you're doing good and everything. But the thing I learned over the years was like, and I say this because service firm, service firm owners tend to do a lot of public speaking and, and mm. conferences and events and that kind of stuff is if you could know where every one of those people actually live, industry, vertical, need, like magically in a moment, and you were honest with yourself of who you best serve, I guarantee that out of that thousand person room, there might be like 5% of the people. And what these firm owners do is these people come up at the end of the conference and they kind of stroke their ego and they're like, that's great talk. You did awesome. That's great. Here's my card, right? But ask yourself really like, was all that work worth it to do 5% when instead you could build this engine that's really hyper-targeted that just over the years and over the decades gets better and better at just serving that one market. And you don't have to eat crappy conference food and you don't have to take a Sunday night flight to the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, mm. in the beginning, it's cool, right? Uh, but it, but if you ask yourself, really, is the ROI really, really here? And again, finally, you're at war with the conference owner's needs, mm. which is a broad audience. So it's never mm. really going to pan out in your favor anyway. And the, the final thing is social. I don't. Think, I guess just before you move on, like one, oh, yeah, one yeah, thing yeah. that sort of comes to mind is... Um, I guess the only the only antidote to that one would be if you could find a conference that was run say by an association that's that sure. only had your very specific type of client, you know, client right. in it. Although, although what I would say that on would that be, is, yeah, yeah. What I would say on that though is they'll tend to be smaller than the ones that give you ego gratification. So you have absolutely. to recognize, and that's where the owner is at war with themselves, right? Like, oh, I. I like going to Singapore and being asked to speak internationally. And I like doing all this stuff and it's, it's rewarding. But to your point, if I could find 30 people in Kansas city that were exactly the right, and, it, and that's who I should be talking to, that's better. Right. So you have yeah. to be I mean, targeted. Yeah. So I ask yourself the question, yeah. would you rather do a, a talk in front of 10 of your absolute perfect ideal clients and, you know, 80% of them become a client within 30 days of giving a talk, or would you rather give a talk in front of a thousand people and not a single one of them actually do any business with you? 
Well, right, right. And and podcasts are a perfect example of that. Podcasts are a vehicle where you can be as narrow as you want to be. You know what I mean? As long as, mm. you know, and I, I'm not going to ask you for stats for your show, right? That's always a private thing. But like, I mean, I'm sure it's doing really well from everything I could see. But my point is, even in that, it's the same thing, right? Do I broaden my show to get more clicks on Libsyn or wherever you have it hosted, right? Or am I okay with whatever those stats are because I know what ROI I'm getting? And the the final thing on the subject of what to do or not do is I would say social falls into the same category, especially for B2B. And I know somebody listening is going to really argue with me in their own mind right now, but I would say, honestly, social for B2B, it doesn't really convert. It really, really doesn't. And it really doesn't for services firms. I mean, I, 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 I know it's the, it's probably the worst connection of vanity metrics, immediate ego gratification and no ROI that I could think of for B2B. Like it, it's, it's, you know, People engage with you, yes, but here's the question we asked our own buyers at one point, and it was fascinating because none of them did. We did a survey of our own buyers, and we said, how many of you look for a services firm through social? Zero. Zero. Because it's just not how they validate that kind of purchase. They engage with it, yes. They might even engage with you. They might retweet your stuff. But, but if you really look and see, is that on the path to purchase and, and if folks are listening and they look at our social, they're like, well, you guys haven't invested that much. We have in the past. We have had times where we have. And the Google Analytics data never lies. Nobody comes through social as a lead. And, and, and I think if you really were honest with yourself, most services firms, um, that's not a place to invest. And I think the danger is you're, there's a temptation because it's always talked up. There's a temptation because in some ways it's easy, right? I mean... I'm not making a political statement. I'm really not. But as proven by our departing president in the United States, it is very easy to generate a tweet at three in the morning. It's not a political statement. I'm just saying it's obviously been very easy to send tweets. So I don't think it's it, it's a it's a tempting medium because it feels very easy to be doing something. But you have yeah. to ask yourself a bit like the conference thing: Am I actually getting any result? And there are tools that can tell you this. You know, and I don't think people, I don't think people spend the right time there. It's why the first thing they do is hire a social media manager in some small company. And I'm like, do you even need social? Is it even on the buyer's journey for you at all that these yeah. buyers are going to go through your social? Exactly. Campaign? And when it comes to the, certainly the social media side of things, I mean, I think with the, with a slight exception of, uh, exception of something like LinkedIn, which I don't think is, it's not right. the social platform of, you know, that we're talking about here. LinkedIn is a great place to connect start relationships then take it off like it's a great place for that but everything else you're tinkering and I, a, a great um uh funny enough a great tweet that i saw from um somebody was you know have you asked yourself recently what's your um rot and that is return on tinkering and that's what a lot of people are doing on something <laughs> like social media right and that's what they're doing and that's they feel great. like they're they're actually being they're being busy, but are they being productive? Are they being efficient? And, you know, yours truly is a massive, you know, um, I've, I've been down that road. I, you know, and, and it's, it's easy to think that you're doing the right thing, but actually you're not like, it's not actually. Well, doing and, and I would agree with you on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, we will look back and think, um, LinkedIn, something amazing. And I know if you're in corporate America, when I say this, you're going to think, no, that was horrible. But for those of us who sell to you, this was a great thing. 
it made a globe spanning CRM that was public. Yes, we don't have emails. Yes, we don't have everybody's phone number, you know, or we do in some cases, but the amount of intelligence in LinkedIn is almost infinite. And, and I'm not, I'm, I understand there are profiles that aren't updated and whatever. I'm talking about in the data scientist sense, in aggregate, the thing that created for the business world is, is massive. So if you can mm -hmm. penetrate the noise in LinkedIn and actually create something that's meaningful, I 100% agree there. But that's exactly what you're talking about. You're doing it for a very yeah. discreet need to then get out of LinkedIn and go do it. But the but the yeah. normal Twitter, Facebook, et cetera kind of thing, I, I think if you actually compare that ROI to other things for most businesses, it's not that high. hundred percent. And, you know, there's, there's so many things that we can do, but there's, there's also only a small number of things we should do. And, and I think that, you know, it takes, it, it, it takes someone ha actually having to sort of take some of the punches, I think, along the way of um, experiencing the things that fail to actually then. And, and again, I am a massive example of it. It's like tried so many, you know, different marketing because I, I, I get seduced by it and I find it interesting and I want to learn a tactic over here and blah, 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 blah. But actually, over the years, I've come back to this, the same core principles that, that just don't change. And really sharpening your sword in those sorts of things. And, and I think that sometimes, yes, we do need to go through that pain of trying things and then they're not working and then not getting that return and getting frustrated and all the rest of it. But really the question you should really be asking is what are the sort of, you know, maybe even I wouldn't ever sort of put my all my eggs in one basket, but what are my sort of two, three, maybe four things that I focus on from a marketing and then a selling perspective to bring and attract clients to me. And I go all in on that rather than yeah, sort of a lot agree. of, you know, thin, thin tactics that are sort of dotted all over the place and half built bridges all over the place and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, really asking yourself the question, what, first of all, what do I enjoy doing from a marketing perspective? Or, or, you know, if I'm the owner of the firm, as you've said earlier, have I got something interesting to say or something different to say? And am I going to go all in on sort of building the firm's authority around my personal brand or am I going to do it sort of, you know, something, something different and how am I going to do that? Am I going to have one of my core things is as the owner, I am going to go on very specific and targeted podcasts over the year. I'm going to go on one every month or one every couple of weeks and I'm going to get, you know, in front of a new audience or something like that. Is that one of your, I'm not saying it should be the way, but is that one of your things? Am I going to have my sales team focusing on building relationships and connections on LinkedIn to take them off of LinkedIn? Is that something that is going to work? Or am I going to focus all my efforts on partners, strategic partners that still to this day, I believe is the number one way of growing any business because it takes away the need to do any of that over the top because you can, you can find a market with your perfect buyers and partner and get access instantly without having to figure out how to put a, Facebook channel up or um, anything like that. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. We didn't talk about that, but that's a, that's a huge area too. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, it's such a big area. I, I think that um, yeah, we could go on for uh, a very long time. But uh, I think that this has been a really interesting conversation. Just to sort of hear from your experience, hear from your thoughts, and you know the challenges that you found along the way, and and, and the ideas in which people can actually move forward through them. 
I think it's been incredibly valuable. So um, I'd really like to let everyone know, um, you know, what kind of person is best suited to reach out to you and have a conversation about potentially getting some help? Yeah, sure. And no, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. We're, if it's, um, if you're a B2B technology company and by that, we, we your feelings about Elon Musk personally, I, they're doing cool stuff. I mean, uh, and, uh, we mean like software and hardware, you know, cloud services, that kind of thing. That's our ideal client. And, uh, for them, we will do research and then we'll take that research and that's the, the bulk of what we do, you know, so buyer persona work, brand segmentation, competitive work. And then we'll turn around and we try to turn that into language they can use to effectively engage with their market. So whether that's marketing or sales messaging, you know, we'll do that. And so that's basically who we are. And um, yeah, based in, you know, some people say based in sunny, whatever, we, we say we're based in rainy Oregon. Uh, and that's that's kind of where we're from. And uh, now it's, um, that that's basically it. And you can find us at cascadeinsights.com. And if folks have a question about us or about running services firms, because I mentioned at the top, I love to teach and mentor and whatever, you can just email me directly at Sean, S-E-A-N, at CascadeInsights.com. And thanks again for having me on. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I know you're active on LinkedIn as well. So um, I'll put all the links to um, various profiles. But uh, it will be great to uh, connect with Sean if you've liked what he's uh, had to say. And um, yeah, I, I'd be surprised if you didn't because there's so uh, you, you can just hear there's a wealth of knowledge behind you there. And, you know, the, the, the value that you can sort of like bring and, and, and just see and, and the perspectives and the different perspectives and, you know, being able to connect the Avengers and Iron Man and all the rest of it to professional services. That's a talent, right? So uh, I appreciate it. So Sean, thanks ever so much for uh, joining me, sharing and um, yeah, being such a great guest. So um, all that's left to say is happy fishing. So there we go. That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got some great ideas and, and found it really valuable. And you've got some things that you can now go off and do in your own business to help grow your business and attract and catch more clients. And if you have found it valuable and you can think of just one other person that may find some of these ideas helpful and, and, and help them grow their business, please share it with them because they'll thank you for it. So also don't forget to grab a copy of my book, Conversational Relationship Marketing from the podcast gift page at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift. And all that's really left with me to say is thank you ever so much for listening today. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there you could be listening to. You've chosen this one. And for that, I am truly, truly grateful. If you're a first time listener or a, or a long time listener and you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please make sure that you do because you'll get updated of the latest episodes every time they come out. And if, again, you are enjoying it, I'd really, really appreciate a honest rating review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one personally, and they do really mean the world to me. And yes, they help others find the show. If you're able to do that, again, I massively, massively appreciate it. But until next time, happy fishing.